We have a noirish theme this season, and you, if any of you have read The Death of Bunny Munro by Nick Cave, his second novel yet, um, you can't get much noirer than Bunny. If there is a darker shade of noir, it is indeed Bunny. Um, I am damned, Bunny Munro says, but we are very blessed tonight. Uh, we have uh, novelist David Peace in conversation with Nick Cave. Um, David, as I'm sure many of you know, burst into the bookshops and the literary scene with his quartet of Red Riding books, uh, powerful novels of crime and police corruption, using the Yorkshire Ripper as their basis and inspiration, and that this year was adapted into a three-part serial for Channel 4. Uh, he also wrote GB84, set amid the 84 miners' strike, which was published in 2005, and... I'm sure many of you saw The Damned United, the, the film version of his 2006 novel, which recreates Brian Clough's time at Leeds United um, and was made into a film starring Martin Sheen. David's future projects include uh, UKDK, about the changing face of UK politics, set around the fall of Harold Wilson and the rise of Margaret Thatcher. And continuing his well-known obsession for the darker side of Yorkshire life, he's currently thinking about writing a book about Geoffrey Boycott and his relationship with the Yorkshire County Cricket Club in England. At some point in the future, uh, David threatens he intends to stop writing good novels um, and subject us to his very bad poetry. I suspect it's not true. Um, please join your hands together and uh, join me in welcoming David Peace and Nick Cave to the Purcell. Hello. Uh, David Peace. Hello. Hello, how are you? I'm good. Um, thank you all very much for coming. Um, 20 years ago, I had the uh, good fortune to be at the Whitworth Hall in Manchester on September 2nd, 1989, to hear this gentleman read from his first novel, Amias Saw the Angel, uh, which was then um, followed by a showing of... Um, Ghosts of the Civil Dead, in which he made a, a memorable appearance and, and wrote the soundtrack. Um, it's my even better fortune to be here tonight um, to talk to Nick about his um, second novel, uh, The Death of Bunny Munro, which is one of the best novels I've read in the last five years. And, and I'm sure you're going to agree. Not to, any, not to put any pressure on you. You can carry on. No, no, no. <laughs> I think it'd be better if... Um, Why, what happened uh, five years ago? <laughs> that was so fucking good. <laughs> Fair um. point. Would you like to read from Bunny Munro? Yeah. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Uh, OK, I'm going to read a, a little bit, and I think we're going to talk... And I might read a bit more. And, and then we will ask, sorry, and, and then there will be a chance for you to ask questions if you have any. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, I mean, uh, I won't sort of tell you. This is about a, well, I'll tell you a little bit, but this is about a travelling salesman who goes door to door trying to screw women. And he's got a little uh, boy that uh, sits in the car and waits for him. That's a very general roundup of the story. His wife dies at the... Uh, his wife commits suicide in, in the first few chapters. And um, the scene I will read is um, after her funeral. And 
there's a wake, and Bunny is seduced by uh, uh, the girlfriend of his best friend. And this is that scene. Bunny lies on his back on the sofa. He is naked, and his clothes sit in sad little heaps on the living room floor. River, also naked, straddles him and with enormous verve moves piston-like over his unresponsive body. Bunny's considerable member retains a certain curiosity, it must be said, but the rest of him feels wholly disembodied, as if it attaches no intrinsic value to the matter at hand. He feels like the flenched blubber a butcher may trim from a choice fillet of prime English beef, and as the song goes, he has never felt this way before. This is completely new territory for him. He can see that the hard globes of River's breasts are perfect and better than the real thing, and he attempts to lift his arm in order to pinch her nipples, which are the size and texture of licorice jelly spogs, or stick his finger in her asshole or something, but realises with a certain amount of satisfaction that he can't be fucked, and he lets his arm drop to the side. River squeezes Bunny's cock with her muscular vagina. Wow says Bunny from the depths of space. Pilatus, says River. Huh? grunts Bunny. Cunt crunches, says River, and contracts her pelvic floor again. The remote is lodged under Bunny's left buttock, and as he shifts his weight, the television turns on. Bunny's head lolls off the edge of the sofa, and he sees, upside down, CCTV footage of the horned killer with his trident terrorising shoppers in a Tesco car park in Birmingham, the bad news ribbon that runs across the bottom of the screen informs Bunny that the guy has struck again. Earlier that day, he had walked into the shared accommodation, into a shared accommodation in Bordsley Green and butchered two young nurses asleep in their beds with a garden fork. There is general panic in the Midlands. The police continue to be baffled. He's just getting started, mutters Bunny, the flicker of the TV reflecting in his upside-down eyes and he's coming this way. River, however, is lost to a gesture of altruism and does not hear. Bunny lifts his head and looks at her and sees that River's face has changed somehow. There is a pout of hubris and self-admiration as she picks up the rhythm of what she would consider to be, come morning's sober light, basically a sympathy fuck. Oh, she says as she pounds her bulletproof pussy down. You, she says, her pistons firing. Poor, poor man. Bunny is about to close his eyes when he sees, by the window, hidden in the folds of the rose-coloured chenille curtains, what appears to be his deceased wife, Libby. She is dressed in her orange nightdress, and she is waving at him. Spooked, Bunny makes a hopeless, wounded sound and opens his mouth and releases a hiss of gas as if his very soul was escaping, and then bucks frantically at River in an attempt to dislodge her, which is just what River needs to send her over the edge. Bunny, trapped in the vice of her climaxing haunches, squeezes shut his eyes. River screams and digs her nails into his chest. Bunny opens his eyes again, looks wildly around, but Libby, his wife, has gone. My wife was there, says, uh, he says to River or somebody. She was watching. Oh yeah, says River, disimpaling herself. You might want to see somebody about that. I know a guy in Kemptown you could talk to. Bunny jabs his finger at the news bulletin on the TV, and he is coming down. Huh? 
Look, I've got to go, says River, and raises the perfect orbs of her rear end, slick with her various juices into the early morning air, and looks under the sofa for her canary yellow panties. There's a little bit more. <laughs> River leaves soon after, closing the front door behind her as Bunny feigns sleep on the sofa. But his mind is alert to all, all manner of things. He thinks, for instance, that he should get up and put on a pair of trousers or something before his son wakes up. He wonders also what his wife wants from him and hopes that he will not be the subject of any further hauntings or supernatural visitations. He wonders with a shudder if the disconnectedness he, feels, if he felt while screwing River is a permanent condition and he considers the idea that perhaps he is all washed up as a world-class coxman. Maybe Libby's suicide had jinxed him cursed him maybe. It is certainly possible. Stories abound about people being put off their game by seemingly in innocuous and unconnected events. Poodle, his friend, told Bunny only recently about a local pussyhound from Portslade who went from stud to dud after attending a Celine Dion concert. <laughs> he just couldn't get it up anymore. He told Poodle it was like trying to stuff a dead canary in a cash dispenser. In the end, he hung up his tackle and became a landscape gardener in Walberswick. <laughs> it's chilling stuff. Whatever. Bunny knows that there are things going on in this world, great mysteries, that he will never be able to work out. He wonders also, with a gnawing abdominal anxiety, whether he will ever get it together enough to go and visit his ailing father. And then he starts thinking, in an abstract kind of way, about his son, Bunny Jr., and what the fuck he is going to do with him. What do you do with a kid who can barely locate his own backside? But most of all, he wonders how he's going to spend another night in this spooked-out three-roomed council flat with its crummy vibe and its deeply fucked-up juju. Bunny realises, lying there on the sofa, that he can't fucking handle it. But even though these questions whirl around Bunny's mind like rooftops and tractors and farm animals in a tornado or twister or something, Another part of Bunny's mind, the plotter, the designer, the maker of plans, works quietly away, shifting through the data to find a way forward. And in time it comes to him, not in a blinding flash, but rather in a shift of the gears of the heart, or perhaps a release of dread from his body, or a stabilising of his internal chemistry. He feels in that instant that he knows what he has to do, and with that knowledge comes an enormous sense of relief. The answer, as is so often the way, has been staring him in the face all along. Bunny smiles, then drapes River's canary yellow panties over his face. He sucks on the crotch and happily jerks off, and then falls into a deep and uncluttered sleep, thinking, easy, no problem, vagina, vagina. <laughs> Thank you. My publisher made me read that bit. Yes. No, it's true. He's quite a character, is Bonnie Monroe. What, what, can you remember a moment when he appeared to you? Um, well, it, it actually started uh, out as a film script, mm -hmm. and I was approached by John Hillcote, who I'd written um, the, the, the proposition right. with, the film, for the, yeah. the film script of the proposition, and he asked me to write another uh, film for him, and, which I was very happy to do. Mm. 
um, and I asked him what he wanted it to be about, and he said, I'd like to do a film about a travelling salesman. And you um, said? And I said, yeah, well, okay, <laughs> sure. I mean, I'm quite happy to do whatever anybody wants me to do. Really? And I, and I, um, and I went, a, went away and tried to work out a story where I could find some interest in a travelling yeah. salesman. We looked at a lot of documentaries, um, one in particular, which was a kind of fly-on-the-wall, black-and-white view of uh, the travelling salesman in the 70s, we, uh, which showed the kind of dark in underbelly. In, uh, no, actually, it was in America. in America. It was in America. But it did show the kind of dark underbelly of the culture of right. the travelling salesman. Um, and then we interviewed some English travelling salesmen and... To our surprise, they were just as depraved as the American ones, if if not more so. So and that was the that was the actual. And 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 how far did you get? Did you do the script? Yeah, I, did, I completed the script. We tried to get it made, yeah. which is very very difficult. Yeah. Um, I think you had a similar experience. Well, I've had I've had I've had my ups and downs with scripts. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, um, it, it was very difficult to get the money yeah, to yeah, make this yeah. enough money to make yeah. this particular film. But and in the script the character was called Bonnie Monroe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And 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 then when 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 did the decision when did you make the decision then to to turn it into a novel and how did that what what made you think of a novel again? Well, it it just kind of languished, you know, this mm. script that kept it was sort of sitting there and and um I can't handle that. So, so I really, uh, it really, uh, you know, I really like the story. Yeah. I mean, the book is actually, um, it's it's very different than the. Well, I was going to say I would never. I mean, it's only only just this evening that I found out it had been a script. I mean, I would never have guessed reading it it had been a script, and I mean that as a compliment, obviously, to as a novel. Um, But in the interim between the first novel and this novel, were there other? Abandoned novels or, or other th- other things? No, that, not no nothing. No, I've never gone near a novel never again. since that. The, since the reading in Manchester, really, whenever right. it was. Well, why was that? Well, I just found uh, everything about writing and the ass or the angel mm. um, ter- terrible and terrifying it, and and really destructive. I mean, it took me. Th- for me yeah. to stay on a project for three years is yeah. is it's too long, and, and and I was just I locked myself away in a room, and wrote this book, and I don't even know why I was writing a book. Actually, you I didn't have any the great desire novel. to be a novel. The first novel, kind of, the first novel, yeah. um, and I was never that pleased with it. You know, I mm. kind of I liked a lot of and the Ass of the Angel, mm. but it, as a novel, I was it always kind of worried me, and I just sort of thought that's not what I want to be. You know, right, I, right. I want to do other things, and I got another job. And sort of worked away on that for the last. And, and then, years. how, when, when you made the decision to turn um, Bunny Monroe in, from a script into a novel, what, how how long did that actually? How long did it take you to 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 do that? To write it. To write it. It took six weeks six to weeks. to uh, write the first draft of it, that's which fast, I wrote on tour. Fast. Well, it just uh, look. For me, writing a song is really, really difficult. Mm. It's not something mm. that comes easily mm. or even naturally. Mm. And it takes sometimes it takes six weeks to mm. write one song, mm. you know. Um, because I am naturally expansive, mm. you know. My songs, to me, often seem to their detriment to be kind of bursting in the seams right, with kind right, of content. Right, yeah. um, I wish I didn't actually write in that way, but that's just... I'm just 
naturally given so, telling so, the story. So, so the novel then is a release. But it was, it was novel, totally, it was, yeah. it just sort of, you know, um, flew out of me, this book. It, it's, it's structured in three parts and 33 chapters. When, you be, when did that come to you, that structure, or did it just happen? Or? Uh, uh, early on, I think. Early on, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There was a sort of neatness about that that yeah. I liked, and a kind of manageability about the about getting the first bit done. And yeah, I meant yeah, yeah. And that's and and that was, and and so did you have it um, set out as a you know like one day per? I mean, but I tend to no. work in no, not not a day by day. Well, how do you, how do you go about it? Well, I I do divide out the chapters. And over months of a period of time to try to keep myself to a timetable. So that's why I'm quite interested that it's 30, you know, three parts, 33 chapters, and whether you've got like um, two weeks of the first part, two weeks of the second part, or whether you just kind of let. No, it just, it just sort it of. Just, yeah. I mean, it, you know, I did have uh, the script to dangle the whole thing yeah. on, and that was made it immensely pleasurable in a way because, um, you know, I wasn't kind of having to. Work out, you know, work out the nuts and bolts of the story. It was pretty much there. Yeah. So it was just a matter of putting you, it into prose. Really. Maybe a difficult question. What would you say is the difference, the biggest difference between when you think about when you look at the script and you look at the novel? Is, is there a major? Is there a major shift? Yeah, the novel's filthier. Filthier. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, there was, there's, there's. I mean, simply when you make a movie, you have to cut away, mm. and I didn't have to cut away. I could just kind of. <laughs> Finish what happened. Yeah, I mean, and the difference between the, the first draft and then, I mean, that first draft, where you were, was a much was a much work on it from after that. Yeah, well, I had to type it into the. Yeah. You know, and it's kind of. Yeah. Uh, it was that was slow, and yeah. you know, and obviously I did I, I worked on it as I did that. Um, and but you know that 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 took that took the same length of time again. And. I mean, do do you think you'd write? Uh, is it, is it, I mean, you, obviously, you you, ju you just said after the first novel, you you stayed away for twenty years. Uh, has this kind of made you fall in love with the novel as a form again? Well, it did until I started doing the press and stuff like that. <laughs> you know, because you, it, for me, I don't know about about you, but really, um, it, you have a kind of private relationship with with your book mm. and. When you do start doing the press and a lot of press about it, it—I mean—it happens the same with records. Mm, mm. It just gets taken away from you. Mm. Um, and when I make records, I don't care. I've ceased to care about reviews and, and mm. all of that sort of stuff, mm. and I don't really read them, and they don't affect me if they're mm. bad or mm. good um, too much. Mm. I mean, they—you know—I mean, I generally I don't—I don't kind of look for them and yeah, all of that yeah. sort of stuff. But this book has been. Uh, it's like putting out your first record or something really, like that. You, you know, yeah. kind of looking at the reviews and find myself on the fucking internet. You know, <laughs> three so o'clock in the morning that, going, I wonder what America thinks. But you said it's remarkably honest of you. Because well, I, think, you know, I think all authors do it, but we all pretend not to do it. Well, you know, I mean, it's, and, I've, you know, and I take it very personally, you know. I'm mm. like, how, you know, how dare you? <laughs> <laughs> Don't you know who I am? So, so I do, I, you know, I mean, it is like the, it is like the, um, and you, know, that, you know, and so, so basically that whole thing I found actually really kind of uh, stressful and sort of, and it's made me, you know, scurry back to making it, and I made a great new Grinderman record, 
really. Just well, to kind of, that's good news. But, yeah, that's the but good it, news. But, yeah. Um, but this book, though, in itself, um, it, it's also, you, you have done a, the, the CD to go with, it, to, to, to go yeah, with the book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there's... Um, now, I'm not, I'm not very savvy on this, Catherine. There's an iPhone application for it as well. That's Which right. Is this, now, the, the, the CD, then, you've, you've recorded the entire book. Yeah. It, it's not abridged in it. No, 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 it's seven CDs long. Seven CDs. Like with, with, you've scored it as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, I, I, mean, that, I mean, the book took eight, what, six weeks to write? How long did that take? Well, it took two weeks, two days to read. Yeah, you know, which I just sat in a room and with the microphone yeah. and read read the book, and uh, and and it kind of happened little bit by little bit. Then we kind of thought about the idea of putting music to mm -hmm. it and all of that sort of stuff. And uh, Warren, I worked with Warren yeah. Ellis on it, and he did some extraordinary stuff to go with with mm. with it. I mean, it's the the, the audio book is incredible. Mm. You know, it's um, it was put together. Uh, by Ian Forsyth and Jane Pollard, and it was, um, it's been kind of spatialized, and I don't know if you know what that is, but it's this new thing that they can do with sound. Yeah. So that if you listen to it with headphones yeah. and there's a dripping bath or something like that in the story, you hear the bath and it feels like it's dripping it's on your head. Down. And I mean, it's, it's really a kind of incredibly hallucinatory, psychedelic experience to it's, listen it's, to this novel. On a pair of headphones. On a so pair of headphones. Right. I recommend it. I, no, I, uh, Few, you know. Yeah. <laughs> You've sold it to me. And and um, and, and with the uh, with this with his iPhone thing as well. What but that is the, is the what 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 does this mean then? Uh, I wish there was someone. Yeah, this is what we, you know. The app guy. Yeah. But look, this is a. It's a new a world. whole new yeah. thing. Yeah. You no longer have to um, go through all the effort of opening up a book. <laughs> no, but, but seriously, it's, it's actually uh, it's kind of extraordinary because, I mean, you can read, you can read this thing on your phone. Right? Yeah. It scrolls. You can, like, touch the word. You, yeah. Check this out. You can touch the word that you're reading and put your headphones in and suddenly my voice takes off from that point and reads to you so that you can read it on the tube and then get off and walk to work and my voice carries on, carries on. with music. With music, yeah. And occasionally a little picture of my face comes up and you can press that. <laughs> and I, you can actually, there's filmed footage of me reading it to you. So, I mean, it's actually kind of uh, incredible. I mean, you know, in the music, music business, we're all, uh, it's everyone's chasing something and the whole thing seems to be collapsing. Mm. The form is collapsing. People are wondering mm. how to do something new with music and how to sell music again and all of this sort of stuff. With, with the internet mm. has brought mm. music to its knees pretty much. And so it feels kind of... It's actually quite exciting to be involved in something where people are actually doing, attempting new things, things with, yeah. the, with the novel, you know. And you, you, would you buy... Would you buy other people's novels and see them have in the, and read them in the same way? Is that something that I buy an app? Yeah. Um, if someone showed me how. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When you were going back to the going back to the, the traditional novel. Yeah. When you were when you were writing it, 
do, do you read it aloud as you're writing? Uh, no. Uh, yeah, actually, I might have done that sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Did you? I mean, did you envisage it while you were writing it with with all these kind of with with, with no, the seed? No. Not at all, no. really. I mean, it was just. Uh, I, <laughs> I actually started. This is actually true. It sounds like another mm. plug. <laughs> but I actually started writing this on my iPhone. Um, and the first half a chapter, were, because I just got this iPhone. Right. And it was like, had this little keyboard on it. And uh, it was just this extraordinary, you know, I could do that. Yeah. So, I, so I was just seeing if you could kind of actually do something yeah. other than kind of text someone. And so I did start writing it on that. And, I mean, that was kind of, I don't know why I'm telling you that. No, 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 <laughs> but, no it's, but, but you did, but you then, you, you're not, I mean, I, for example, I do read aloud what I write. You don't pace for room when reading aloud. You didn't pace the room reading aloud the chapters and things. Um, no, I didn't go to those lengths. No. Do you? Do you? I do, yeah. That's <laughs> how I check if it's all right. Um, um, but I... No. No. <laughs> <laughs> to, to, go back to, the, to go back to the character of Bunny Munro and, and, and the actual plot of the book, I mean, it seems... When I, when I read it, it seemed to me a very harsh critique of masculinity, and, and particularly British masculinity, in, in, in this day and age. Was that, was that an intention, a conscious intention? I, I think what I wanted to try and do was to create a character that, um, that men recognised mm. and to create a monster, mm. a, a, a character that grows as it, with each page you turn... Mm. Is, is revealed to be a monster mm. until the end you find out what this guy is mm. really actually getting up to, which is mm. not cool on any mm. level. I'm mm. going to say that right now. But, it, but, but what I wanted to try and do is to maintain or at least kind of pull the reader along and, and that the reader in some way sympathises with this character. Mm. And this is actually quite difficult to do. And, yeah. um, but, but it was essential that this character was real. That it wasn't yeah. like about a Martian or an yeah. alien or something. It was about a man, mm. and um, and st one one thing that I had anxiety about about this book was whether women would be mm. interested in reading it, because women take up seventy five percent of the market these days. So I didn't want to kind of write, <laughs> you know, write, you know write a book that, you know, that had a kind of, you know, I wanted, I wanted everyone to read it. And the good news was that women also uh, recognised mm. men in this character mm. or something that, that, that they felt something that they'd always suspected about men mm. um, was revealed to them. And, and they found that, they found that kind of, uh, you know, they found that a very positive and encouraging thing, you know. Um, in fact, the people who get def most defensive about this character are, the me are, are some men. Really? Yeah, I've, mm. I've noticed, I've, I've had that a lot, that people say, well, look, especially if their wives are sitting next to them. Right. This, I don't understand this book. Really? You know. Yeah. But, um, I, mean, but, I, mean, but, I mean, I think the thing that, keep, I mean, that keeps the, your sympathy is, is the relationship with the son. This is the, I well, mean, yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean... And the book seemed to me, I mean, uh, while, it, while I, d I do read it as a critique of masculinity, but it's, all, it's also about, and I saw it, as how to raise a child in this day and age. Again, was that something you... 
Well, that was, was interesting to me. I mean, going back to what you were saying before, the way, the way I was able to make this character sympathetic mm. was that often he, the, the story's told really from two points of yeah. view, the, the little boy yeah. and, the, and, and the protagonist. And um, you could see the father through the boy's mm. eyes and the boy is nine years old and the father can do no wrong. Mm. So even though we, we understand what this guy is yeah. actually getting up to... Yeah. Um, he's still able to inspire love in this child. And mm. so he remains sympathetic, hopefully. Mm. Um, but to answer the question you, you just asked, that, that it is very much about me observing my children. Mm. I have two nine-year-old twins mm. and I interact with them, but mm. I also um, observe them. Mm. You know, and, and that child is very much... Made up of the ticks and sort of yeah, th- yeah. Of, of my own children. Yeah, I mean, the, not. I do you think it's given it away to read the line from the, from this line? I mean, I just found that the, the the line I found the most powerful. Don't read uh, the last one. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I just found this world a hard place to be good in, and this comes at a particular not to spoil it, but it comes at a particular point in the moment, and it is, I think, um, the key. I mean, to me, it was the key line of the book. Um, is that, I mean, was that in relation to, I was thinking more as in what we were saying about in raising children. I mean, was that, is that something you struggle with? The, the, you know, in, in, you know, you find this world a hard, a hard place to be good in. Is it a hard world to raise children in? Um, well, it's a different world than when I was a kid. Mm. And, and there's, I think, in general, children have a lot less freedom than they used to have. Mm. And this, I think, is what's the most punishing and most difficult part mm. of, of being a father to me is seeing actually how um, children have very... You know, we have the health and safety advocates mm. and education these days mm. and... Um, the way we are supposed to bring up our children and stuff like that, that they, it, I think everyone could just sort of take a step back. Mm. Um, I think we as parents give ourselves way too much credit for, for, for the way our children are raised and mm. I think that children... Uh, the, 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 all, everything is kind of there. Yeah. Um, and, and it would, be, would serve them better if everyone kind of stepped back. From them, that, I'm not saying that Bunny Munn no, is, no, is yeah, yeah. a role model yeah. as a father. No, I, no, because he steps right back, right um. back. <laughs> would you would you be kind enough to read yeah, from it again? Sure. Thank you. Uh, okay, so this this is a, a little bit about the boy. Um, He's, his, while his father goes door to door, he he uh, drives around in this punto, this yellow punto, and he goes into these houses and gets up to whatever he tries to get up to and his kid sits in the car and waits for him. And the kid has an encyclopedia um, to keep him entertained. And they're parked out the front of a kind of council estate. Bunny Jr. opens his encyclopedia and the mother's dead. His mother's dead. Just remember that. Bunny Jr. opens his encyclopedia at the letter M and he reads about the mantis, an insect with a well-camouflaged body, mobile head and large eyes. 
He reads that the female eats the male head first during copulation. Then he looks up copulation and thinks, wow, imagine that. He commits this to memory by putting it in a virtual color-coded box and storing it in the, shell, the shelled data bank of his mind. He has hundreds of these boxes that relate and interrelate and, he can, be, and can be drawn upon at will in an instant. Ask him about the Battle of Britain or about the Death Watch Beetle and he can tell you. If you want to know about the Galapagos Islands or the Heimlich Maneuver, then Bunny Jr. is your man. It's a talent he has. But two things are worrying Bunny Jr. as he sits slumped in the front seat of the Punto. First, when he tries to call to mind his mother, he finds the image is still disappearing. He can remember the year they started building the Eiffel Tower, but he finds it increasingly difficult to recall what his mother looked like. This makes him feel bad. He tries to arrange his memories of the things that they did together in the form of exhibits, frozen in time like the stuffed birds in the glass cages of the world-famous Booth Museum. He arranges them in his memory as if they were waxwork statues or something. But the image of his mother is vanishing, so that when he goes to look at the scene of, say, the day his mother pushed him on the swing in the playground of St Anne's Well Gardens, he can see himself vaulted high into the air, his legs kicking out, his face alive with laughter. But who is doing the pushing? A slowly dissolving ghost lady as incomplete as a hologram. He feels in this instance forever suspended on the swing, high in the air, never to descend, beyond human touch and consequence, motherless. And after he has stopped crying and dabbing at his tears with his, the sleeve of his shirt, he worries about the other thing. On the bench where the juvenile delinquents were sitting is a fat guy in a dress playing with a pot plant. He wears a lilac wig. Every now and then he looks up at the boy and makes the noise like some kind of monster, maybe a werewolf or a hellhound or something. This scares Bunny Jr. and very secretly he reaches across and pushes down the lock on the car door. As he does this, he looks over at the entrance to the stairwell where his father disappeared and standing there with her back towards him and part, partially lost in shadow is a woman with blonde hair dressed in an orange nightdress. Bunny Jr. puts his hands up to his face and before his eyes he can see her step deeper into the shadows and disappear or dematerialize or atomize or something. He can't decide which. Thanks. Um, <clears throat> should we take some questions? From the audience. Okay. okay. Um, yes, okay. Slide it down here. <coughs> Did you? Oh, well, I love the Booth Museum. Uh, it's, it's, a, um, it's a museum where Edward Booth, is it? Um, who was a nature lover around the turn of the century shot every single bird, uh, every single species of, or type of bird, sorry, in England and stuffed them. And uh, they were put into kind of tableau form. So you have these eagles, sorry, you have these eagles and a, a kind of lamb and they're, they're, it's amazing. And it's, it's falling a little into disrepair, I'm sorry to say. It even smells a little funny these days. I think some of the cases are cracking open. But it's an amazing place, and my kids love it. I love it. Um, so, the, 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 the world of Bonnie Monroe is 
It's 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 Brighton, Ben. It's this. It, do you think that was, or you heavily fictional? It's, I don't know the area very well. I mean, is, are you are you gonna? Uh, do you think this is gonna do much for the Brighton tourist industry? Um, <laughs> well, uh, you know, all I can say is quite honestly, I love living in Brighton. Yeah. And and from from my point of view, it's uh, I live in Hove, which is a little bit away from the right. riffraff, <laughs> and it's kind of there's a more a better type of person lives up there. <laughs> but, you know, well, there's old ladies with Zimmer frames right. and leopard yeah. skin bikinis and, yeah. you know, it's really a, a kind of magical place. And um, But this Brighton is seen through the eyes yeah, of a, of cool, of a yeah. guy yeah. whose life is going down the toilet. So, yeah. so it's kind of a... It's, it's, no, it's not going to do much for well, the tourist the, the, industry. The, the script was set in Brighton, in, set in this area too, yeah. as well. Yeah. Was, uh, the intent, right. okay. And um, yes, I think you have to wait for the mic, the microphone man to arrive. Um, you were talking about when you when you give your book over really to the public and then sharing that. How do you feel about then performing that here and also with your music? Then, if that's something that you feel so personal about, is it? Do you find that you're kind of selling it or giving it away? Well, you know, with with with, with music, it's a different thing. I mean, you when you play live, you kind of reacquaint yourself with the songs all over again. Uh, when, when we play our songs live, we do them quite different than on the record. I mean, they find themselves in a live situation, so it's a whole different kind of art form, really. The book, I don't know. Um, I mean, I really enjoyed reading that. I thought, fuck, this is really good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Fuck the village voice in its review. <laughs> um, Will you, will you be doing any? Will you be doing any readings with, with, with the music? Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, we're we're doing a a, a tour. Are you? <laughs> yeah. Um, but we're we we've got these shows some in London and and around right. Britain and and, um, some in in Europe in different places. But that is a kind of uh, I'm be reading doing a, a few readings. Yeah. Um, Ian and Jane will be kind of producing it, who, who, who produced the, yeah. the uh, audio book. So um, there'll be musicians with me, or Warren Ellis and Martin Casey, my bass player, will be there, and we can do some reading, and if people want us to play songs, we can do that, and I don't know, we can do anything, really. <laughs> but it will be a kind of, um, uh, you know, hopefully a kind of, I don't know, I don't know what it'll be like. <laughs> <laughs> But tickets are on sale soon. <laughs> yes, down. Pardon? October. October, right. Sorry, down there. Yeah, where, where is the, the man of my here? Can I ask a question about when you saw the angel? Yeah. Was there anything in particular in real life that inspired the pit of decomposing animals? <laughs> and the ones that were alive. Um, just sort of life in general. <laughs> um... Actually, I think that was kind of inspired by um, um, the guy who wrote Billy the Kid, the uh, left-handed poet. Did you? The um, Ondaatje has this wonderful scene, actually, and I think it's in that where uh, someone breeds dogs, breeds these kind of killer dogs, and uh, 
And that, was, that had a huge impact on me. That, that particular book actually had a huge impact on me. And, and I think that that kind of influenced that whole idea, really. I can say that now, 20 years later. You, you wouldn't be tempted to ever like, produce like, the CDs. I mean, I remember at the time that the Astor the Angel came out, there, w there was a, I think with Tender, well, probably people might remember, the Tender Prey, I think there was a 12-inch that came with you reading some excerpts of the yeah. book, you wouldn't be tempted to go back and record it and set it for uh, an app? What, and the Ass or the Angel? Yeah. Uh, well, the, I did mention this to Canongate, actually. And they um, said... Well, this was before I wrote the book. Right. And then I wrote the book, yeah. and then I did it to this book, and mm. and we've forgotten about that. Yeah. He's over there, actually. He's over there. But it's not... You, know, you And you didn't... <laughs> when you were writing this, you didn't get... You didn't dust off the first novel and go back and have a look or, you know. Well, what, what happened with that, actually, that, that was the first thing that happened that got me writing the new book because someone sent me a copy of And the Ass or the Angel for my signature, you know, mm. in the post. Yeah. And I started kind of reading it mm. and I thought, you know, look, this is not a bad book. You know, mm. I've, I've had huge misgiv misgivings that have kind yeah. of grown way out of proportion yeah. without ever having looked at mm. it over the years and... Um, and I, and I liked it, you know, I liked the writing in it, but it just never, it never had an editor. Right. You know, we just kind of, I just wrote it and I sat down with the publisher, who's a wonderful guy, but I don't think either of us were editors. And, yeah. um, and we just chucked in all the good bits, you know, uh, basically, and uh, what we thought at the time of the good bits. And I thought that this book could work if, it, if someone came in and had, an, uh, if yeah, it had a little yeah. go at it, you know, yeah. and so... Penguin have now done this and are now yeah. republishing right, and right. the ass or the angel kind of you know in a revised form um, so you you went you went back to it and re-edited it yeah it, with me and me and a couple of other people yeah are, are you gonna now I'm not sure that was a I don't know I no, don't no, know if I that was a good a, idea no, or not, not not a not a good no, idea I would like to re-edit a lot of my own yeah. books <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um you know I mean in one way books are what they are at the time yeah. you know and they they it's not I'm ambivalent about it, to be honest. Do you think when when you do the shows with with um, Warren Ellis and Martin Casey, would you are you tempted to read from and the I saw the angel as well? No, no. no. Okay. We won't Move be doing swiftly that. on then. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I'll, should we go to the bat? I've been a, I've been hogging the people down front. Absolutely. Idea yeah. that, uh, you know, Bunny's opinions on women, teenagers, children uh, are yours as well. Yes. I mean, no, they're not. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, that, that, that I do find that frustrating. You know, there's uh, the word misogynistic comes up. It, it always has with me, actually. And, and it seems like that that word will get thrown at you if you uh, look at these kinds of issues. And take take a look at them, and and if it, and for me, I wrote a book. Well, one of the purposes was write, of writing this book was railing against misogyny, having a look at it, and uh, and seeing where a certain type of behaviour, certain type of humour, um, led ultimately. So, yeah, it, it's um, I find it kind of unfair. Um, 
But I've always, I've always had that. People have always said that I'm, I'm misogynistic and I don't, you know, just because I murder chicks in my songs is... <laughs> no, but I mean, seriously, I, I don't, you know, I find it's frustrating. I am largely immune to, to those sort of comments. But, but about the book in particular, I actually sat down to kind of address that issue mm. and... and um, by writing a book about, as, as you well, say, I, kind of well, critique I, of yeah, masculinity. I, I, I find it, I mean, very hard. I mean, um, I had the misfortune to see um, the late review. I don't know if you had that misfortune. And I, I, didn't, I honestly I didn't thought watch they it. were talking, well, I actually <laughs> thought they were talking, I mean, I could not believe it was a book, the same book. But um, there you go. And another question. Yeah, well, about the, 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 the kind of critique of masculinity, mm. I, I'm not sure it's a critique so much as just having a look at, at masculinity in the sense that I don't think, I don't think we really have much control over the, these aspects of our character. I mean, I think men have a, a kind of thing that runs through, through us to a greater and lesser degree that sees the world in a predatory manner and I think that that's kind of in our DNA and in, in our in our makeup and, and we learn how to deal with that mm. in society. My, my character obviously hasn't mm. um, and we learn how to function in society but I think that, 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 that this is something that's inherent in our reptilian mm. Mm. brain. Yeah, well, um, I used a critique but you know I mean certainly so not. I, so what, what I mean to say is I, don't, I, I mean I, I, I don't condone Bunny Munro's actions yeah. but at the same time, I can't blame him for, for, for some of... Particularly the, uh, the internal kind of monologue that mm. goes on in his head mm. about things he sees constantly mm. it's, and, and the way this sort of triggers particular thoughts. And, you know, I mean, we don't really have much control over that aspect of our... Yeah, I mean, I, you, I mean, Mike, you disagree. I, I saw him... Well, you might disagree. I saw him as also a victim of this environment. As well, I well, mean, yeah, there's a lot, yeah, lot to yeah. do with you know, and and it was a critique as much of the environment of the society. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. yeah, sure. um, um, yeah. He he certainly is. Yeah, I mean, I think it can be misleading though when when you hear passages of the book which are quite funny because I mean the I mean the overall as I said I I ended up feeling you know very, I mean of course I laughed through lots of it but at the end it has quite I thought it had quite a punch to it. Well, that was the was the intention. Mm. Really, was was that that you're laughing and then suddenly, you it's not funny yeah. anymore. Well, I, it's I just it very not funny. successfully pulled off. <laughs> okay. um, anyway, <laughs> uh, right at the very sorry to make you keep running right right at the very back then. <laughs> Faster. Um, yeah, some of your great ballads, like um, O'Malley's Bar and John Finn's Wife and uh, some of the others, they, they have the kind of intensity, power of a final chapter of a great novel. Are you ever tempted to take some of the characters you've created in song and, and create longer pieces of fiction about them? Um, well, I'm not, I'm not, no, is the, is the answer. Um, you know, I, I, I mean, I, I actually don't like that aspect of what I do. And, I, and I've tried to kind of write different songs that aren't kind of narrative, that you don't actually have to connect to the storyline when you listen to my songs. And I've been trying recently to, to do that more, that the, the, the lyrics become more um, 
atmospheric, let's say, and, and that you can sort of, you, you don't have to kind of follow some story to, to appreciate one of my songs. But on, on another side, I am generally kind of proud of the community that I've created of these characters. And, and from early on, I wanted to try and create a kind of uh, a, an environment that was unique unto myself in some way where th these kind of characters could all operate and, and live and there was a kind of logic and uh, to the whole thing. And I think I've been in that way successful, but I, I don't feel the urge to kind of go back to these characters and kind of write the full thing, you know. So, and, no. and there was never like a reverse in between the, the script and the novel. There was never a moment when Bunny Monroe was going to appear as a, as, as a lyric or... No. 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 And I, and I do... Uh, the, the actual great objection I, I've had about the reviews, actually, to go back to your question, is that people are saying this is the Grinder Man book. You know, mm. like this is just a kind of... And, and it, it doesn't, it's, it's, to me, it's nothing like that. It's, it's mm. not about that. For me, it's mm. a very, very separate mm. thing, uh, dealing with very mm. different issues altogether. Um, it may be kind of, there's a sex thing going yeah. on and there's a yeah. sex thing going on in Grinder Man, but they're looking at completely different, well, yeah. different things. Just in case someone's about to say, is this your Grinder Man book? <laughs> is the answer is no. Big, big. Because you do work on many, how how do you balance the, the various things that you do? I mean, you, do you do you do it like by the calendar or or how? I mean, yeah, I do yeah. actually. Yeah, and you don't, you can't work on two things at once. For no, example. not no. not not successfully. No. Um, yeah, I sit down on you know a particular date and start writing the new Bad Seeds record yeah. or whatever, uh, and when I finish that, my, I start doing the next thing. So there aren't there aren't then these boxes of kind of prod things. No, that, you know, not at all. No. Yeah. Um, no. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay, down. Slide. Um, your book is translated to other languages. Um, do you find that scary? that it will take in other way than it meant to be? Yeah, I am actually. Um, it's deli delicately balanced, this book, and it could, I think a bad translation could uh, tip it, you know, it, c it, c it, could, it could make it appear to be something else, yeah. But, you know, um, I trust Canongate over there that they've gotten good publishers across the world who are going to, you know, that, that, that are going to do a good job on the translation. So you kind of have to mm. just stand back from that. But I think it is what's, what uh, keeps this book balanced in some way is the language itself. I mean, if, the, if, if a, a, an unhappy job is done with the translation, it could, it, it could lose a lot, I think. Um, but I don't know. I don't know what the, the translations are like. What's it like? Uh, I think it's flat. Flat? Yeah. Bummer. <laughs> <laughs> Glad I don't read Dutch. Um, oh, that's a shame. No, I got the English version also, and I uh, tried to read it also, and it's better to read it. In English? Yeah. Less flat. 
Less flavor, yeah, more emotions and more going on. Um, well, that's a shame. Yeah. I don't know what to say about that. You know, I'm... I'm um, so, it's, so it's already been translated, Ben, and published abroad? Apparently. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought this might be some pirate version you'd got. Um, okay. Um, 32 countries. No, I didn't hear about that, Jamie. <laughs> Perhaps you can tell me later. <laughs> but, um, you know, yeah. So, I mean, that's, that is... is uh, it's actually kind of ex exciting, really. I mean, we've done uh, India and Turkey, right? I mean, I did an Indian... Uh, well, an interview there, and uh, they asked me all this stuff about the book, and it was kind of a weird interview because they didn't ask me anything about, you know, the band or anything like that, which they normally, they kind of normally want to get to. And I said, why didn't you ask me anything about the band? And they go, oh, we don't know who the fuck you are over here. <laughs> and it was, it was hugely kind of freeing, freeing thing. Yeah. Um, yes, sorry. Could you tell us a little about your forthcoming projects? Well, I've got a new Grinderman record coming out early next year. Well, maybe three months, whatever that is. January for March, March or April of next year. We've finished that. It's, it's got to be mastered, so we're not, we've got to... But uh, it's pretty much finished, so that's happening, and I don't know what happens after that. And you've done the, the, the soundtrack to The Road... Yeah, we've done that. That's that, the the road is just, is it just shown been, at Venice. Right. Uh, the road's amazing. Yeah. I think um, it's certainly polarizing people. Mm. People, some people love it. It's um, some people can't really get their heads around it at all. It's a hugely difficult novel to turn into a, a screenplay. Mm. In mm. fact, I was asked to do the screenplay well, yeah, right, of the road, right. but I I, I um, just didn't want to be the guy mm. who. Did the screenplay right, for the road because right. there is no, you know, there's no real, there's no story. I mean, there's yeah. no, arc, there's no arc yeah. or any of yeah. that that sort of stuff. So it was a hugely. Uh, this is the Cormac McCarthy book. Uh, it's a hugely. But you're ambitious, a fan of the book. Yeah, I like the book. Yeah. 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 Uh, and, and uh, of by him the in end of it, uh, by the, in fact, it's. I mean, it's it's not dissimilar to I, this I to this gonna, yeah, I, to this book. Um, I, all I can say in my defence is that the script was written before yeah. the comic McCarthy well, I mean, book father, got sent to well, me. The father and the son is the... Is the, the well, it's a father and son trip through a yeah. post-apocalyptic landscape yeah. and the mother, by coincidence, tops herself at the beginning of the book. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but, it, but it is hugely... Mm. Uh, on, on, a, on another level, it couldn't be any more different, yeah. you know. Yeah. So... Um, but it's, an, it's a, a huge, it's an audacious film and, mm. um, you know, I hope people kind of respond to it yeah. in the right way. Yes. I was just wondering, um, what, what any particular writers that influenced you while you uh, um, wrote this book? Do you get that question? 
Pardon? That uh, what writers influence? Uh, yes, occasionally. Do, does it freak you out? No, I, I, I wear know, my influences on my sleeve. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, look, the the I, I've kind of I don't know actually who the, who my influence influences are. I mean, I know that who in general my influences are for sure. Um, with this book. Um, there were certain things that had a huge, I think, had a huge impact that I, that just before I wrote it, I mean, there was the, I don't know if you've seen the movie Walkabout by Nicholas Rogue, that that I think had a, a, a big impact on the form of the novel, uh, in the sense that there's this sort of cataclysmic act at the start, and then two people kind of drift, drift, and um, the Gospel of Mark. In terms of, of of the form, had a had a huge impact on the way. In the form of this book as well, this the poetry of John Berryman, kind of he's for me he sits like a kind of god over over, a little perhaps a little too closely over over everything that I do. Um, yeah, I mean there's there's different different influences, but uh, I'm hoping that it doesn't read like. Somebody else, you know. Does it? <laughs> no. Okay. Do, do you think those influence? When you're thinking back to the first novel, have those influenced? Has there been a dramatic shift? Do you think? Or well, you know, I mean, with the first novel, I was, I, really gotten into a lot of blues music mm. and stuff like that. I mean, they're they're, they're pretty obvious with the first mm. one, and a lot of that southern gothic literature, mm. which I love, and mm. I still love. Mm. Um, and the Bible as well, yeah. you know. Um, I mean, they, those guys were doing stuff with language which was just off the planet, mm. uh, and, and Flannery O'Connor and so on. Mm. Um, so that had a that, and I, I love I love the, the those kind of heady stylists. Um, it's not a very fashionable way to write these days, mm. I guess, and people are. You know, I mean, it's just, um, but I just love that kind of stuff. Mm. Nabokov and John Updike and... Do you have a, I mean, do you, do you read, do you have a book on the go all the time or do you in phases? I'm reading your one at the moment. Cool. Well, that's cool. I haven't read a book so good in five years. <laughs> No, actually, it's it's. I don't know if if I yeah. mean these are ma amazing. It's r really amazing. Thank you very. Yeah, embarrassing. You're very kind. Thank you. Um, over on this side. Here, here we oh, go. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Next one over. Oh, um, I just wanted to know. Um, just to come back to the question where they brought up uh, reviews and things like that. It seems to me that there's maybe a little bit of a contradiction where you're saying that you're revealing a lot about the masculine character, and but these are being confused with your own views, and yet everyone thinks like this, but they don't want to admit to it. But I think it is clear that you have kind of revealed something about the masculine character, as you say, and I was just wondering what drives you to be uh, so brave in being so revelatory about yourself, as well as just people in general. Well, I might say I'm the only man in this room who actually doesn't think like that particular character. <laughs> I had to imagine it. I mean, I mean, look, um, I don't know what, I don't know, I don't know how to answer that, that question. I mean, I don't, it didn't feel like I was doing something kind of brave at the time. It was doing, it was, 
something where I basically tried to set up a, a, a scenario with a character that had that jaunty, rascally kind of mm. British, Benny Hill-like kind of uh, charmer, nuts magazine, laddish kind of guy yeah. that I hate. <laughs> <laughs> and set this character up and, and then follow the journey of this character and see where this, uh, this kind of thing can lead, in a way. I'm not saying that every British... You know, I'm not going to really go there. But, but you know, that was, the, that was one of the kind of... Uh, the purposes of writing the book. And it was actually um, the humour, that certain kind of humour that's in it, the certain misogynistic humour that he has and the way that he sees it, was actually quite... It was the hardest stuff to write, actually, uh, for me. So... Um, and it was a huge relief when the, uh, the, the boy actually, I could introduce the boy into the book and, and he could be seen from it. The book could have a different perspective, um, a more, a warmer, more soulful perspective. So did that yeah. come anywhere near answering what you asked? <laughs> Well, I, you know, I, I'm not that. That's, I'm not that character, actually, um, and I'm not the characters in my songs. And one, and the last thing in the world I want to do is sit down and write a book about myself. I mean, yeah. I, see, I would how tedious I, I could do, that be? I actually would be? disagree with you. I don't. I mean, I think you know, a novel is a work of your imagination. Well, I mean, I, I feel um, that the, my, what you're saying, that my imaginative world is, dis, is distinct from my personal life. Um, and it's in many ways. I mean, there's, a, uh, there's a, a, a kind of God figure that exists in my imaginative world, world or, or at times there's an absence of that figure, for example, um, which is hugely important for, for, the for, for the way my songs operate and the, and the kind of moral side to my songs and, and so forth. But if I'm to sit here now and ask if I believe in a personal God, the, the answer is actually no. So, it's, so I have to take on a whole different, um, not persona in any way, but enter an entirely different world. And I think that Bunny Munro can, can live happily within that imaginative world. Um, and I can sit, sit distinctly apart from that. Um, so, for example. Um, over there. But I like that bit about the child with its toys. Oh, didn't you? Did you? Coming back to the masculinity of the character of Bunny Morrow, um, you just said before that you build a character in a way that is kind of real. And I read the book, and I wasn't offended as a woman. I loved it. 
But um, I thought it was more built on an exaggeration of the stereotype. I mean, I, don't tell me it's true that, you know, <laughs> I hope it's not, you know. The, the what? The, um, the way Bunny Morrow thinks every time he sees a woman, even at the funeral of his wife, and is constantly uh, thinking of the nether regions of any women. Get. Uh. You, you say you're built in a real way. I'm, I'm asking you. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's an, <clears throat> he's a special case, this guy. <laughs> I mean, who masturbates at their wife's funeral? Um, but, you know, he's, he's driven. I mean, I mean but, but there is something real about him. I mean, he's, you know, he, he's, this character to me isn't actually that interested in sex. I mean, he's pursuing sex but it, but he's far he's more interested it's well it's more about a, a man's flight away from love and intimacy and and that's uh um you know and that and that's that the, the kind of the, the the way he's obsessed with kind of celebrity celebrities for example um is all part of that um you know so i've completely forgot what you, you were saying well, men are, all men aren't like that. It's, it's a, he's a special case, this guy. <laughs> Why? You don't like Avril Lavigne? <laughs> what is wrong with you? No, I mean, did you find that problematic? Are you going to stop buying my records? <laughs> I went on a bit much. Yeah. Well, that's, he's an obsessive kind of guy, so... Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm touring, uh, doing a book, a book reading in Ottawa where Avril Lavigne comes from, actually, quite soon, so... I'm, I'm terrified there's a kind of Avril Lavigne fatwa being <laughs> kind of... And, I, and I, actually, I'm a fan. I'm a fan, and I, and, and I've, I love, you know, what I know of her. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even know who she was. Didn't you know? I didn't you, know who she was. You Googled her, right? No. I, no, I asked my son. So. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, from over in the middle end, please. Oh, are you sure? Yeah. Oh, so many times. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Well, we can do a joint one, but uh, it just struck me that, um, you know, from the Asia Asia, there's a, there's a touch of Southern Gothic about it. But um, with Bunny Monroe, it, it's South Coast Gothic. And one of the big characters that sort of comes out of the book is sort of, it's the Rose, it's the council estates, it, it's the, it's a, you get a real sense of place. And it feels like a very modern place. You know, did the, you know, the living in Brighton, what was the relationship and how did that sort of, you know, did you feel you almost were, you know, creating the character or reflecting the character of, of Brighton and Port Slade and Shoreham and those type of places, just, just, really come across as the living character of, of the area? 
Well, it was important to get that right, or at least get that recognisable in some way. Yeah, for sure. But um, um, yeah, I mean, I did, I did. I can't say I did a lot of research, but I have lived there for for five years, so I do know those places quite well. Um, and yeah, I, what what was the actual question? Um, did, did you know what well, it was important? It was important to get that recognisable. Um, like I said, it's seen from a certain perspective. This place, so you know, it's 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 actually kind of a, a, a beautiful place. I mean, his his at the beginning of the book, he sees he goes for a drive along the seafront, and, and for, you know, he's still seeing it through his own eyes. But it's this glorious place. The sun's out. The women are romping around, and you know it's this—it's this kind of picture of his own particular nirvana. Um, but after a series of incidents happen, his vo his his life starts slipping away from him, and and you know falling apart. And and what he sees becomes almost apocalyptic. And and um, but it's you know it's it's from his own point of view, you know. As much as the as much as a place was there a, a conscious attempt to, to nail a time, like did you did you have a t did did you? Have I mean, a time? it is set a few yeah. years ago because uh, it's set at the the, the day you know it begins the day the pier burns down. Right. But but what I wanted also to do was to do a kind of ultra modern environment mm. that he that mm. he existed in. Um, one because I don't often write about that sort of thing mm. within my songs, um, so that was kind of exciting to do. Mm but also to bring out the kind of anachronistic nature of this particular character because mm. he's, he's operating in a society that's, uh, you know, in some kind of way moved yeah. on and he's still coming on as the kind of the yeah. ladies' man. man yeah. in a, in a, and he, he, f he feels like someone that's, that's kind of from a slightly different era. Yeah. Um, and he's kind of... The, this sort of... These sort of charms aren't really working in modern society yeah. in the way that... No, well, I think they, it's one of, the, one of the great achievements of a book is to nail this particular... Because I find, I mean, personally, I never write about the present. I always find it too too difficult to nail it down. But that, that, that I think, is one of the achievements of the book. You've got this kind of time, quite a recent time. And, and, and it was actually really uh, exciting to do that. Yeah. You know, I'm, it's difficult to do... I mean, I do, I've been doing it more and more in songs, mm. but it's kind of... Um, and there's been... Uh, been something that I've enjoyed with songwriting because people expect my songs to be kind of set in a particular yeah. period of some sort, or to be in a, in a, timeless. Or yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. And so that you can put in a in a in a line that's that's extremely contemporary, and there's mm. this sort of shock mm. and jolt to that mm. particular line. Um, but it was just actually immensely pleasurable to try and find some kind of poetry mm. in modern well, modern yeah. day life. Yeah. You know, in McDonald's and mm. KFC and all mm. the rest of it. No, and I thought that's why I Apple thought came and also it would be, I mean, to sit and talk about it in 20 years later would be, to, I mean, I think it will have a, an extra life, in, you know, as you look back on that time. Is that something, again, wasn't that, that wasn't something conscious? No, no. I don't think so, no. Um, I have a, two, two or three more questions. Want, sorry, I'm, I'm pointing um, all over the place. <laughs> I'm going to ask you about something completely different now. I'm kind of interested in the where way are, that... Where are you? I'm here. Oh, here. Okay, sorry. Hi. 
Um, I'm kind of interested in the way that you're flirting with the other side, um, being the afterlife or whatever, um, with the visitations, you know, from Libby. Oh, yeah. And um, it seems to sort of run quite a lot through your work. Like you had the little ads on Grinderman with the Ouija board. Uh -huh, yeah. And um, I just uh, wondered whether, where do you get that inspiration from? Have you had Do any I believe in ghosts, do you mean? Yeah, I suppose so. No, I don't, I don't, I don't actually. And uh, I'm very kind of, you know, practical, sort of logical kind of guy about that kind of thing. But, uh, but I mean, in the, it's once again what we are talking about before. In this particular world that I have and that my songs are placed in, all, you know, it's, it's a world of the imagination and it's an absurd world and it's an extreme world and kind of anything can happen within that world. That's why I kind of enjoy getting up in the morning and going down to the office and entering it, you know, because it's a little less um, mundane, might be a little harsh, but it's, it's uh, anything can happen in that world as opposed to the one we live in. So it's just, so it's just Bonnie's mind playing tricks on him? It, oh, wow. Is it? I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, I missed that. I didn't hear what you said. So it's just Bonnie's mind playing tricks on him. Well, it's the two people are seeing ghosts. The, the little boy thinks he keeps seeing his mother, but obviously it's not his mother. And there's a, a, a scene where he runs up, finally runs after this woman, that, this woman, blonde woman in, whose dress is in orange and that he keeps thinking is his mother, which is a kind of manifestation in some way of... Well, he keeps, he runs, it's a manifestation of his grief, I guess, and, uh, and it's not his mother, and it's a kind of tragic little scene. But um, Bunny Munro thinks he's being uh, haunted, um, although he never actually sees, um, he never really kind of, you don't know what, look, you don't know what he's seeing, that guy. He's all over the shop. <laughs> but I mean, he is. Uh, also kind of haunted by his corrupted griefs, as it says in the book. Um, over here. Um, I was just wondering, it seems that um, from your beginnings, um, these days at least, everything that you do is accepted as art, and art sort of in the high sense. Um, and I was wondering, if, does it ever bug you that you've gone from being the iconoclast to actually being the icon? And do you ever worry that, you know, the next iconoclast is waiting in line to, and has got you in the cross sites? Jesus. <laughs> um, wow. I haven't really thought of that, actually. I mean, I mean, if Gene I'm, I'm Simmons... I'm more worried about Avril Lavigne's bodyguards. <laughs> if, if Gene Simmons had written a song like No Pussy Blues, he'd be like, oh, the horny old goat. But from you, it's accepted as, as art. Um, as That's because it is. <laughs> okay, so why, why, why is it art if it comes from you, but not if it comes from Gene Simmons? Well, because Gene Simmons can't write a fucking song. <laughs> I mean, okay, actually, enough, I, I'm I actually take... I, I, dis I disagree. Actually, I'm sorry. That's yeah. actually totally unfair and... You're quite right. He's a, he's, they did some good stuff. Right? Um, but I don't think he was a, a master of the written word. No, uh, yeah. No, nor, I'm not saying that I am either, but um, 
so, uh, I don't know. Young gun in town. Um, no, I don't. I don't worry about that at all, really. Um, I mean, I've look. I've been doing this for a long time, and and I've been through the kind of pain and humiliation of being completely uh, out of fashion, and and absurd. I mean, I'm I'm kind of absurd anyway, but but real absurd. Like I've done things like played between. Nirvana and Mudhoney at, you know, at the height of grunge in a fucking suit, you know, and, and had the whole audience kind of, you know, you can see their eyes glazing over. Um, so we've been through, we've been through all of that sort of stuff and as far as I'm concerned for myself, um, I'm not that concerned with that. I'm, I'm interested in, in creating a, a particular world that is uh, special to myself um, and continuing to, cr to create something in that world and that will kind of drift in and out of favour, I guess. Um, but the, the thing that would completely uh, throw an atom bomb in that world is if I tried to suddenly change direction and do what was currently fashionable, you know. Um, it's just a kind of fluke at the moment that I'm hugely fashionable. <laughs> Okay, um, up the back. I guess uh, there's, there's an irony potentially in that uh, a script that became a book is probably more likely to become a film now. Uh, and I wondered whether you have any interest in it becoming a film and uh, who you would want to direct it and who might be Bunny. Well, yeah, okay. So um, there's actually what... I would really like to do, and this relates to what you've done, is a TV thing of, of um, Bunny Munro. I don't know what your experiences were like with that. With TV, well, good. But I, I find uh, the film, the, the, the hour and a half film, it, it, it kind of limiting, and, that, that, and there's so much uh, money involved, so much pressure to make a certain kind of film that it's virtually impossible to make the kind of work of art that you actually want to make, and I, I know this from watching people make films that are director friends of mine. Um, it's, 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 it's a hugely compromised art form. Um, and I think the TV is a place where you can actually, I love the idea that you sit down and you turn on the TV and it's a certain time, and you spend an hour or whatever of, of your life with a particular character and then they appear the, a week later and you kind of, you form some very intimate and personal relationship with this particular character. And I think that this book could suit a kind of three-hour, you know, coxman, salesman, dead man. And, and it's, you know, three-hour, uh, you know, three, yeah. three, uh, two-hour uh, series, is that what you call it? Yeah. Um, and I'd really like to do that. I'd love to write that, actually. You know, some of the very best stuff... I haven't, se I haven't seen your thing, but um, some of the very best stuff I've, you know, that I've actually... You know, film that I've actually watched has been on TV, I think, in the last, I don't know, five, ten years. And would you, would you now 
would you just go back to the old script or would you rewrite it? I'd rewrite, rewrite it. it, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the, the, the actual Bunny Munro character kind of, I guess, came about initially from sitting with Ray Winston on uh, the set of, of The Proposition um, and seeing this guy who has this enormous magnetism and, um, and seeing the way... This, the charm of this particular character. Um, and he very much inspired the initial Bunny Munro and the script that was written was very much written as a Ray Winston vehicle. It, never, it just never got off the ground. Um, the, the actual Bunny Munro in here has changed quite a lot since, since the original script. But when you were writing it, did you picture Ray? Well, I did in the script, not so much in the novel, Good. actually. And so who do, who do you... Do you have anybody... Well, I tried to make him a, a kind of anonymous, this, yeah. this character. You know, you don't really get to see... You know, he has this curl on the front of his forehead mm. um, that sort of has a life of its own, a, a lock of hair. Um, but he's kind of deliberately blank, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. One last question, then. No pressure, just the last question. This is the big one. The big one. Uh, g'day. As an Australian, Australian. Who, uh, yes. <laughs> I've tried. Sorry about that. That's all right, mate. Um, as somebody who uh, really enjoyed the proposition, will we get another Australian story in either a film or a novel or something? From me? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I mean, you know, the, the, the thing about writing a script is I don't sit down and, you know, write a script... Uh, I, I work as a script writer and that's when a director comes to me and says, I wanna, uh, I'd like you to write a film and, and my first question is, what do you want the film to be about? Um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's the director's film, it's not my film. So, and I have absolutely, I would never even consider going near, you know, to, to direct something. It's, it's, it's kind of hellish from what I've seen. So I don't know, if someone asked me to do something and I like the director and... You know, then possibly, you know. We can't, we can't end it with an Australian. Well, no, I was going to say, so that you I'm never... Sorry. No, I, I thought I was a nice one. I'm, I'm sorry. Where are you from? Oh, all right, mate. That's so you're all not, right. You're not tempted then of a great Don Bradman novel? Uh, no. Script. No, that's, a, that's, you know... No interest to you. No. Okay, one more question, then. Only English oh, people. <laughs> Sorry, the microphone men have retired. Uh, you were saying... Uh, <laughs> you were saying about how you wrote... You wrote um, the novel. You didn't read what you were writing to, to read it out loud. Yeah. Go back over it. Um, is that... To say the same for the script, when you wrote the script originally? No, I, th you, you, I think with scripts you have to read dialogue out loud to see if it, it um, you know, if, if it sounds all right, you know. Is, is that, that what you meant? Yeah. yeah. Okay. No, it's, it's I mean, a, a film script is a whole, whole different thing. I mean, have you done a, a script? I mean, the first thing about a film script is, A, you don't, know, you don't yeah. need to know how to write. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, it's unbelievable yeah. the shit that people get away with. <laughs> I mean, I mean, the stuff. I mean, I get sent a lot of scripts, yeah. and it's, it's, mm. um, you know, I mean, 
It's incredible. So, so, um, yeah, anyway. One, one last question. Well, I'll, I'll, ask, I'll ask the last question. Yeah, all right. The most trivial question of the night. Bunny, rabbits, is that a, a, a passion, a hobby? I, mean, I, have, I, I have two rabbits. You do? Yes. A black and white one called Satchmo and a white one called Fluffy. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for coming along.